Velkommen til 321 Watt, en podcast om ledelse. Dine værter er Per Andreasson og Mikkel Simokov. Mange års erfaring med ledelse af specialister og ledere i Forsikring, Bank og Teleindustrien. Du, Mikkel, har du nogensinde svaret på kritiske spørgsmål fra pressen? Ja, det har jeg et par gange. Men har du, Per, stået på en pressekonference med en masse kameraer, mikrofoner og journalister med kritiske spørgsmål, der forsøger at få bestemte svar ud af dig? Nej, der må jeg nok melde den nej først. <laughs> Men det ved jeg, at vores gæst har. Velkommen til 321. I dag der skal vi tale om ledelse i modvind. Alle, der har været ledere igennem længere tid, har oplevet perioder, hvor det har været ekstra hårdt. Der kan være perioder, hvor man kæmper med dårlige resultater, dårlige KPI'er, et team, der ikke fungerer, eller hvor kunderne de er utilfredse. At være leder i politiet betyder, at man driver en virksomhed uden toplinje. Man har begrænsede midler og skal løse problemer i form af kvalitet, så effektivt som overhovedet muligt. Og samtidig så har man hele samfundets øjne på sig, og man får tit kritik for den måde, man arbejder på. Og dagligt, der kan vi også se i medierne, at det er altså noget, der bliver fuldt kritisk med i. At sidde på toppen af alt det, det er et virkelig krævende ledelsesjob. Og til at give os lidt mere perspektiv på det, har vi fået lov til at få Petra Stenkola i studiet. Som man nok kan høre på navnet, så sidder vi lige nu på den anden side af Øresund. Yeah. Vi sidder faktisk i, i Malmø. Og det er du selvfølgelig rigtig glad for, Per. Ja, tak for det. Øhm, og jeg tænker lidt, Per, at selvom jeg har brugt rigtig mange timer med dig efterhånden, ja. så er mit svenske sprogører helt dødt. Ja. Men jeg taler jo fejlfri dansk. Ja, så. Præcis. præcis. Men jeg tænker lidt, at øhm, jeg tror, der er mange, der har det som mig, at det der med det svenske, det kan være lidt svært. Så jeg tænker, at vi går lidt, lidt mere internationalt til værks i dag, så vi kører interviewet på, på engelsk. Og så håber vi også, at øh, alle, der lytter med, får lidt mere ud af det. So first of all, welcome Petra. You are the head of the Swedish uh, police force in the, here in the southern part of Sweden in the department called Utredningsenheten. Yes, that's yeah. the criminal investigation. Yeah, division. exactly. So th- it's the department handling severe crime. Yes. Yeah. Um, and to give you the listeners more of an idea, um, I guess that you right now are working on the the recent bombing, shooting episodes, knife assaults in in Malmö. Um, just to mention a few. So thank you for joining us, uh, Petra, today. Glad to be here. Um, so first of all, can you start telling a bit about your career in the Swedish uh, police force? Oh, I've been uh, in this role for uh, approximately four or five years. Uh, and um, before that, I was uh, deputy head of the same kind of division. And before that, I was head of uh, border police. Uh, but actually, I'm actually uh, have a degree in uh, in law from the beginning and uh, I also worked as a civilian within the police force since 1992. Mm. So I have different uh, police chief roles uh, since uh, end of 90s. And you have been in your role for four years, five years now? Yes, five years. And what is your different responsibilities in your in your job? The main task is organized crime. Uh, and we also have uh, some kind of special units like forensics and uh, witness protection and such things. Hmm. A lot of people in Denmark haven't missed the news lately about what's going on in in, uh, in Sweden or in Malmö. Um, so when talking about the recent development, 
uh, in the last few years, at least from a Danish perspective, it looks like it the crime has increased. Actually, in Malmö it hasn't increased. Oh. It's uh, been the lowest level uh, in a couple of years. But we have uh, this kind of uh, uh, high levels in a couple of months for uh, some years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it began around uh, 2011. There was a real uh, high level of uh, murder in a short time. And uh, it came back uh, within three years and it comes back and now we have a kind of high level this few months here yeah. but um, the murders are actually lower in uh, Malmö now than the last year but the explosions are pretty high mm. and uh, for region south I work with all the region and it's been quite a high level over 100 explosions this year in south of Sweden. Every time there is a bomb or explosion we hear, we hear about it yes. in Denmark. How close do you work with the Danish police? Uh, on a daily basis, the uh, the investigators and um, the surveillance officers are working with the Danish uh, every week, mm. I would say. Uh, and they talk to each other. But uh, in the uh, high chief level, we uh, meet a couple of times uh, every half year and okay. uh, actually I met the Danish uh, police chiefs uh, of Copenhagen just two weeks ago. We mm. sat together for one day. What is the most challenging parts of your job? The most challenging right now is how to deal with the organized crime in Malmö. I've been working mm. with that for almost 10 years and it's really really difficult and it's no, not only a police issue and of course that's part of my long-term strategic goal how to deal with it and how to to be able to work with the society to to have a better society the most challenging is also the the positive effect of the work because uh, i love my work and it's that you don't know what there is what kind of challenge there is the day after and just when you think uh, oh now we are on the right track and there will come a new new problem and um, I also learned uh, the hard way that when you think everything is going well, uh, the murders are going down and mm. the um, criminality is uh, kind of uh, better. And it takes a couple of months and right up it goes again. Yeah. And that's kind of challenge to, to be working long term and uh, to work uh, within the goals you have set up. As a leader of many people what are the most challenging in your management being a a leader for people not go into the details not disturb the stuff that you do you recognize that don't (laughs) you Mikkel Mm. (laughs) and right now I'm nodding (laughs) and uh, of course I'm also interested in how it's going in the different investigations and that they have done all that Mm. they should do and I Sometimes I ask the 10 questions and they nod and they say, yes, yes, we've done that. Okay, <laughs> beat me on the hands and I will go away. Yeah. But I, I think that's also um, uh, something to uh, show them that you engage yourself in yeah. the work. And uh, I think that's also trustful for a chief mm. to engage in their work. I agree. And I think... Sometimes, sometimes it's it's also healthy for the organization that you um, that you dig deep into 
just a few cases sometimes mm. um i guess that will give something to the organization that you're interested in that that you care and uh and hopefully also have something um intelligent to say uh to give to point out the right direction for them uh, I, I call it optional control <laughs> uh, sometimes i can lay back two months in a particular um, subject and then i get really deep into one issue mm. uh, but it also uh, helps me to get the whole picture and to understand why uh, it's going somewhere yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how to help them to uh, to be better mm. Uh, so um, I think that's important, but it's um, it's quite challenging to get the time to meet the people, especially for me that has a big region. To uh, I'm I'm head of the investigation unit all up to Vestovik. It's approximately 400 kilometers from here. Mm. So I mean I'm not there very often, mm. uh, and it's of course important for me to be able to have time in the whole region and that's quite challenging often it's so much going on in malmö uh, so i'm mainly here because the time isn't enough mm. i could work mm. all around the hour if i yeah. would be able to <laughs> i could imagine yeah i could imagine we do too don't we <laughs> well sometimes yeah. sometimes but, we do but you go to bed at 10 so you can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but but i was thinking about the both you and me we could um, find ourselves working in an excel sheet mm. are you doing any actual police work as an employee police work or I do the optional control thing. Yeah. So, uh, for instance, we have a lot of problem with the frauds. We have a lot of investigations laying a uh, long time. Mm. So, uh, me and uh, my um, chief of fraud, we uh, took ourselves 10 cases and we did them from the beginning to the end. Mm. Uh, so, we also um, investigated and uh, talked to the suspects and so on. Uh, to understand the difficulties and why they have been laying down. And of course, we can see that some of those cases shouldn't have been laying there so long. Uh, And that makes us work even more with these kind of cases. Mm. And I think you have to do that. And I I think it's very important also for me uh, as a chief to meet the society, meet the suspects, meet the victims, because then um, I remember who do I work for. But they won't get the best investigator when they get me. In our business, we um, try to delegate a lot. In the police force, there is a quite robust order of command. So, for example, in many big incidents, you have a a staff of leaders in the headquarter that make many of the decisions for the one out. Um, Why don't you delegate? We try to delegate. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's something uh, that's done more and more. Uh, If you look back 15 or 20 years ago, you you weren't able to decide anything as a police officer outside. Today you can do a lot. But uh, still there is um, uh, some things that you have to have the the chief of police to, uh, to decide about. If it only affects individuals or if it affects the whole society, it's kind of different in how high level it should go up. And another thing is that sometimes when you are in the trouble, 
if you are outside as a police officer and you're in the trouble, in the riots, uh, it's not good to, to take the decisions uh, because you're so affected emotionally. And you should have someone on the radio or call someone to take the decision that have a clear picture of the whole picture uh, and can see it from a different perspective. Uh, but they don't have to call me as a gold commander. They can uh, do it uh, from this outside um, chief of staff. In your daily professional life, you have a, a lot of eyes on you, uh, especially in the media. Um, and I guess every day um, there's news in the media about your role, uh, the police force and stuff like that. Um, and often with a lot of criticism. And how do you handle that? When the criticism is for um, that the criminality is severe, yeah. it's it's uh, not that difficult to answer because we can always talk about how we work and uh, how we work long-termly. And uh, concerning the organized crime, it's not only a problem for the police. We have to work together with the whole society. Uh, but when uh, there is other questions, uh, like uh, today I've been interviewed about that we have uh, frauds, we have uh, uh, a lot of um, investigations laying, uh, waiting for uh, investigators, a long time as I say, and they are up to three years old. And of course that's kind of different uh, it's 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 not very easy to uh, let the people understand why we have to let these things lay uh, to wait because uh, of course there's a victim behind every crime and everyone wants to have it investigated and we we don't have uh, enough investigators to to do that when we have this kind of crisis in the organized crime if you should give any tips and tricks Like when you're in a stressful situation, everything is chaotic and you need to talk to the press. What what should you do as a leader in that sort of situations? It's important to um, have the facts. Sometimes the press is so um, stressed that you have to do that within a very, very short time. Perhaps you only mm. have half an hour or an hour to get that fact. And then you have to surround yourself with the best people to get you the correct answers. And it's very important to be able to say the most important things. And after you've done that, you can start answering some questions. I guess you also prepare for questions that you don't want to answer uh, on beforehand. Mm. Uh, when you sit when you're with your mm. staff and okay, what kind of questions can can come up at this yes. uh, press conference and what do I answer when, mm. when I get this question? When it's a really difficult uh, press conference with many journalists, uh, I try to have some uh, minutes uh, together with other um, staff to uh, let them ask me 100 mm. questions yeah. to test me. And to be very <laughs> difficult to me. Yeah. And uh, that makes me prepare for some difficult questions. But there are always questions you can't answer. And uh, either you have to say, I'm sorry, I can't answer that question. Uh, I'm not allowed to ask that question. I have to look into that more. Mm. I have to come back to that. Uh, but always stick to the truth. 
and always say the things you've planned. <laughs> yeah, but it, no matter what. Yes, and I guess it could be hard sometimes. But sometimes they cut them away. <laughs> yeah, but you also have, the, I guess you have the the power, the authority to, you know, just say. I can't answer that question. But they will answer it five or six or seven <laughs> times if okay. it's a really distressed situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's easy to to fail and and answer anyway. Yeah. And that's always a bad thing because yeah. probably you won't say a thing that's correct mm. or or you said too much in a criminal investigation that will disturb the investigation. Mm. Uh, so we also say that uh, when we go to the press, it's better for us as heads uh, to go to the press because if it's the investigators, they know too much. I as a head yeah. don't know the details, <laughs> so I can't uh, reveal all information and, mm. and we shouldn't. You were talking about if you get criticism, um, you need to back up your staff and so on. But when you get a lot of criticism, how do you motivate your employees? It's important to, to talk about why it has become an issue uh, in media and uh, to make the staff understand why it's important or interesting for the public to know. And we have to understand that the media has a particular role in the, in the society. Uh, the role for the media is to... Uh, look into the authorities and see if they do what they should do, look into the politicians and see if their decisions is in the public's interests and to inform the public of um, criminal investigations that took place. And sometimes it's not in the interest of the criminal investigation or the victims or the investigators uh, to inform at all uh, in the media. But we also have to understand that if a murder, for instance, like now in uh, in Tollup, there was a, a female murder, there will be some interests for the people who live there. Uh, can it affect my family? Can it affect my society? And they want to know something and we have to do that for them, but not more than it's possible uh, not to disturb the investigation. Mm. Let's say... There is an investigator that gets criticism in an interview with you. Do you talk to the individual? or Because you have a, a lot of leaders um, between you and, and a single investigator. Do you talk to the individuals uh, in the, that has gotten criticism? Not usually. Uh, and I never criticize individuals um, that are criticized. Uh, we have a, a special system for uh, police officers that had committed crime or done something wrong. And uh, some investigators in another organization will uh, control them and see that everything's fine. Not only media is uh, interested, um, also politicians are interested. You met the prime minister couple of weeks ago yes uh, we always have uh, politicians uh, coming to visit us and it's really important for us to inform them about our work and how we work uh, but it's also important that we are an authority and we go ahead uh, we work uh, with uh, scientific uh, methods and don't interfere with the politics i'm always uh, very 
thorough, uh, not going into political discussions. Uh, I also have a Twitter and uh, I never comment uh, the politicians. Why did you choose to be active on Twitter? Uh, actually, uh, I was at uh, a police seminar in uh, in Germany and we um, were listening to a high sh- police chief from uh, Holland and they told us how they worked with Twitter. And I got home and I talked to my colleague, uh, Stefan Sintis, that is chief head of police in Malmö. And we said, oh, we go out to Twitter and we test it. Mm. And uh, we we saw quite early that the politicians and the media are a lot in Twitter. And it was a direct line uh, for us to talk to them. Mm. Uh, not always what our communicators wanted, mm. but <laughs> uh, now we work together with the communicators. And it's really a good line mm. to, to talk. I think everybody is curious about this. Do you read the comments? Always. And I try to answer them. Okay. If so there are questions. Really? Yes. Even though if they're very critical? Mm. Critical is no problem at all. Mm. I think it's good to react and talk to them directly. Uh, but I never answer to racism. Uh, and I answer at the most two or three times at the same respondent. Ah, okay. And then I quit. Uh, because I can't go into... Yeah a debate with someone, but I can answer and clear out some facts. Your employees, you ha- and you, you handle grueful situations. Um, and I know that a few weeks ago, a 15-year-old boy was killed in a shooting. Um, in what in what way do you talk about that? Do you do you get any? Do you talk to your employees about? That situation. I think when a 15-year-old is shot, it always takes you in a different way. And every murder is unacceptable. Every shooting is unacceptable and uh, difficult uh, for the society to handle. And we've had uh, two very uh, different murders, the shootings uh, of the 15-year-old. But also we had um, in uh, end of summer... Uh, a female with a baby in her hands that were shot to death. Oh. Always when there are children mm. uh, among the victims. It's yeah. it's more severe. Uh, also because the police officers themselves have children in the same age. Yeah. And it's very difficult. Mm. But we have also a system for that. So uh, uh, concerning the forensics, uh, for instance, uh, they go uh, regularly to a psychologist. Okay. Uh, to debrief themselves and uh, and to work uh, with their feelings so that they won't work up uh, post-traumatic mm. stress. We had, for instance, uh, one case in, in uh, outside Lund where um, the parents uh, murdered their children and took their own lives. So there were four uh, dead bodies in the house. Mm. And uh, the forensics that went there, there were also... Um, normal police officers uh, that were there. And of course they had to debrief uh, the session, but also they had to talk to it uh, about it in the group. And of course they also have to go individually to uh, to talk about this, because this is something you can't go home to the family and talk about. Mm. And they have to be like kind of robots to do the forensics and to, uh, to make the victims a fair uh, investigation uh, to... Uh, 
yeah, to be able to make them justice what has happened. And now we're talking about all the severe crimes, but there is a lot of crimes um, going on everywhere uh, from, the, you know, stealing a pen or something like that. But in your job, how do you organize the prioritization of all these crimes? You have to have some people for every crime, uh, but how many you can talk about and you can prioritize. And of course, in a severe crisis, we all have to sum up, but then we talk about one week perhaps. Uh, but we always have to have some to work with also the, the light crimes. Um, behind every crime there is uh, a victim uh, or it's of the interest of the state to work with. So we have to have some investigations to work with that mm. and every investigator is important. Yeah. So what type of crimes are your uh, most challenging right now, like where you can't prioritize as much as you want? I would say uh, now the, the, the one that hurts me the most is trafficking in human beings. Because uh, now they have to work uh, with murders because they are um, they have the the skills for it, and uh, we aren't able to work with trafficking right now. Um, of course, we have uh, one or two that works with it anyway, uh, but uh, uh, normally we have a whole group working with that, and and that's not possible right now. But we hope hopefully uh, can do that within a couple of weeks again. And I know that some years ago you also you also told that in in the beginning that you have been uh, heading and responsible for the border police. Um, and I know back then that you were criticized for being too effective. Actually, yes. Um, can you tell us a bit about that story? Well, it's kind of fun now when you look at it because uh, uh, the politician uh, has really taken another road now. Mm. Uh, but at those days, we had a mission from uh, three authorities to work to efficient uh, the time from uh, a decision that a, a person that has seeked asylum have to go home uh, to they actually go home. And we increased uh, uh, the numbers with 30%. And uh, I myself and some of my investigators and leaders, uh, we were hung up with... Uh, Uh, notes on the trees and uh, all over the city with our photo that we were murderers sending people to uh, wow. the countries where they will be murdered and so and how did you feel when you saw your picture on a, on a tree i'm kind of disturbed i think because i don't care okay uh, i see it, they do it not for me as a person they do mm. it because i have i'm a police officer and yeah. head of the border police but of course when you Uh, read on the internet that they, they want to kill my children, they want mm. to burn my house. Of course, I think, will my children read that? Will my children see that? And they mm. have done, and that hurts me. Yeah. But we talk about it. Okay, so home, you talk so. about that kind of stuff in your yes. in your family with your yes. kids. Yeah. Yes, we do. I could only imagine reading on the internet that somebody wants to kill me. Mm. Um. <laughs> we have women every day that are haunted by men and they live it as a daily basis and they can't go away from mm. it. So I think they have a much more tougher mm. situation mm. than I have. I have all the security I need from from my uh, employers. Yeah. 
and uh, so I, I, I feel safe and my children feel safe. You were commander-in-chief uh, during FCK and uh, Malmö FF um, uh, on the Swedbank Stadium. Uh, that was the Europe League. Um, how do you plan for a, a mission like that? We start... Uh, this time we hadn't had that much time to, um, to plan because uh, it was kind of late that they uh, set up the match. But uh, we start to plan directly. And uh, we talk about how we should deal with the uh, uh, communication with the supporter liaison officer, the FCK Copenhagen and the Danish police. And we set up a meeting and uh, I think we had two meetings with them and then we um, plan how to do it. We communicate, we uh, try to uh, communicate our role, how we should work with the football supporters and uh, some um, wants we want to um, the supporters to know. Uh, for instance, it was important for us to uh, tell them that we have border control, that they should have their identification clear oh. when they come, so they won't be uh, sent back when they came to Sweden. We wanted to know what uh, times they were uh, arriving at Sweden and uh, how they were planning to um, to uh, party before and how they were planning to go back afterwards, so we can ease uh, the party for them. Because we want them to have a nice time here and we want to, uh, them to be able not to be in trouble with the MFF supporters. Yeah. Did the FCK supporters behave? I think so. Uh, it was um, a high-risk match, as we say. And of course, there are some supporters uh, that are um, troublemakers and we have some severe cases uh, before the match, but uh, mainly they behaved and uh, of course uh, 95% of them behaved very well. Mm. Uh, and we have a very uh, good conversation with the support liaison officer and the Danish police. They were also in the same room as us, the Danish police. Uh, so um, I think it was very good. It was a bit dirty where they have partied <laughs> afterwards, mm. but... Uh, because I throwed cans and everything everywhere. <laughs> but I think that's no different when there is a Stockholm team here. But before before a game like that, yes. um, do you identify the troublemakers? Mm. We have special police officers working with the supporters. Mm. And they know exactly who are the troublemakers and mm. who are the supporters that only want to be there to support mm. the game. Even though and that they are the from... same in Denmark. Okay, yeah. And those uh, Danish supporter police officers were also here. Ah. Uh, so they mainly work with their supporters and we mainly work with our supporters. And then the supporter police officers work together uh, to identify troublemakers. Mm. Uh, and of course, we also film them uh, if there are really yeah. riots or something like yeah. that. We had yeah. one riot, but uh, I think they were arrested. Only a small riot. Mm. Right? Yes, <laughs> there are often when there are high risk mm. match. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you should know how did the game end? I think it was uh, even, and that's the best result for yeah. us in the police. <laughs> Thank you so much, Petra, for joining us today. Thank you. Um, and if there are any listeners out there who wants to follow you on Twitter, 
Uh, is it just your name that yes. should? Okay, so Petra Stenkula. Yes, yeah. and that will say uh, police mestare eller police commissioner. Okay, great. Og så vil jeg sige til, og nu, det bliver helt mærkeligt at tale dansk igen. Ja, prøv. Sådan er det for mig hver dag, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> øhm, men, men, øhm, men så vil jeg sige, øh, hvis man har lyst til at følge os, øh, Per, på, øh, det kan, det, kan man det på Twitter? Det tror jeg faktisk godt, man ja, kan. Ja, det kan man. Så man kan høre, at vi er virkelig aktive på Twitter. <laughs> men øh, vi har nok ikke lige så mange følgere som dig, Petra, i virkeligheden. Øh, det tror jeg i hvert fald ikke. Nej. Vi vil gerne have det, så... Hvis det er, man tænker, det her kunne også være relevant for en kollega at høre, så del endelig vores podcast med en kollega eller venner, eller hvad man nu har lyst til. Og så kan man selvfølgelig søge efter 321 watt, hvis man vil finde nogle podcast, eller hvis man finder os på sociale medier. Man er altid velkommen til at skrive til os, man er også velkommen til at finde mig eller dig, her på LinkedIn, som er jo vores sted, vi kommunikerer ud. Hvis man har noget feedback eller kommentarer eller et eller andet og hvis man, eller hvis man bare har lyst til at anmode om et uh, digitalt venskab, så kan man gøre det der. Ja. Øhm, tusind tak til dig, Petra. Tak. Tusind tak, Per. Ja, selv tak. Og tak, fordi I lytter med. <laughs>